by the way, breaking news. I mean, this is hot off the presses. Josh Hader and the Houston Astros in agreement on a five-year deal. And it's a lot of money. It's approximately the same amount we pay Steve Lansky to join us every week. Lansky, uh, I want you to confirm that we pay you huge dollars to do this. (laughs) I do a lot of things, but lying isn't one of them, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Speaking of telling the truth, we want you to give it on the Edmonton Oilers. I wrote on my blog, somebody reminded me today, uh, that in November, when they went 2-9-1 that morning, I guess I woke up and I said... It's time to make your peace with your maker if you're the Edmonton Oilers. Like, that's how much I was convinced the season was over. Wrong, obviously, but this has been a truly unique season the Edmonton Oilers have posted so far. Never seen anything like it in my life. Never. I know the St. Louis Blues were in dead last or something the year they won the Stanley Cup, but I've never, I've never seen anything like this in terms of you've got the same key players, key components, you changed one goalie, and what you did was you somehow decided you would find a new attitude somewhere and adopt it. I, I Man, I, I would have to think long and hard for an entire day to find another team that's done anything like this. Now, uh, we're only halfway through the season, which is another weird part about the whole thing. It's only halfway through the season. So who knows what the second half is going to deliver. And I thought that, you know, I'm always looking for, because I – I, I think, and I know that you've expressed, I, I think I'll know the Edmonton Oilers are going to win the Stanley Cup when they no longer make those, you know, early distant warning danger passes at the blue line that are cross-ice passes or drop passes. And they've cut them out mostly. But last night they were overpassing. The power play was never going to score. They were trying to get the puck to Leon, and it wasn't working. And they do seem to be, I'm going to use the word stubborn, and maybe that's a... Uh, a reflection of youth or confidence or whatever, but I I think sometimes you have to give what the other side is you have to take what the other side is giving you, right? You do. Um, and now I'm starting to think like an athlete because I played enough sports. Athletes can be stubborn when they're like you said, very confident in what they can do. And I've done that a lot of times in my life where I thought this has got to work. Why isn't this working? And it's, it's, a, it's kind of a unique athlete that can say, this isn't working, I'm going to change to something else immediately. Of course, the first person that comes to mind is Wayne Gretzky. Now, he had so many things in his pocket that he could, he could do a million different things and come up with a million different things. I, I think it's difficult for an athlete to realize something's not working. And I think a lot of times that's what a coach is there for. Hey, guys. This isn't working tonight. Let's do this. And then once you adapt that attitude where you're willing to look outside your comfort zone, we'll call it, uh, then you become an even better team because you and I both know when the playoffs come, you're going to have to go outside your comfort zone in something because the other team's going to have you figured out to some degree. And the only way you're going to win is to figure them out and go a different direction. Just a fact. One thing I really like about what the Oilers are doing now that they didn't do uh, previously, they've done in the past, but they weren't doing when they were losing, is they can test everything. The forecheck is strong, but also on the wall defensively. They are confident enough they're going to get cover and, and support that they can commit to a play. And it, I just see them committing to – there was a play this week where uh, it was on the penalty kill, and there was just a moment where the, the player behind the net on the opposition team – 
contemplated passing it and he looked up and he wasn't paying attention and Nurse just swiped the puck off his stick and threw it down the ice. The Oilers are more in the play in the moment, I think, and they're very aggressive and it's good. And isn't that what championship teams are? It's not we will do this, we, you know, we might be able to do this, we are going to do this, whatever it is. And every championship team I can think of in any sport that is only their attitude. The first one that comes to my mind is the Islanders. The Islanders knew exactly what they were going to do, when they were going to do it. And if they did make a mistake, Billy Smith was going to solve it. To me, those teams are the teams that win. And you just see it, don't you, Al, in just the little tiny plays. Not the big plays, not the whole scope of, of things, just these little tiny plays where you say Darnell Nurse was looking and boom. He's got that pucker. That puck's off that uh, opposition player's stick. Those are the little things that build the confidence. We are going to do this, and we're going to do it repeatedly. That's what winners think. Steve Lansky joining us, teaching us what winners think, which is great. Um, Toronto Maple Leafs, whenever they come west, and this isn't a new thing, whenever they come west, <clears throat> there are a lot of Leafs fans who buy tickets from Oilers fans to get in the game, and then it feels like a home game. And for the Leafs, and I asked somebody the other day who went to the game, and I said, uh, during the flow of play, did you notice a lot of Leafs fans? And they said, it's during the pregame skate you can notice it because it's like there are so many Leafs fans and they come early so they can see the team. And the, it tweaked when I, was, when I was listening to the answer. It was actually texted to me, so I was reading the answer. I thought, this is what Lansky's talking about. This is why he says they'll never win, because they're treated, like even on the road in Canada, like they're, they're, they're extra, extra, extra special. <laughs> Your last two sentences, you took away my whole answer. That's exactly <laughs> what I was, exactly was going to say. You don't even get to leave home and, and get rid of the pressure. It's always there. And I remember when the first time the Montreal Canadiens came to Edmonton, and I, I, you know, I was either busy with school or whatever. I wasn't paying attention. I wasn't reading the paper. And I remember getting to the rink and going up to the broadcast booth, getting ready for the game and going, wait a minute, what's going on here? Why are there so many Canadiens jerseys all over the place? And that was the first time I'd ever thought, wow, I had no idea it was going to be like this. Well, you imagine now, you've got to play 41 at Scotiabank Arena, and then let's say, I don't know, Tampa or Florida. Maybe there won't be. There will be some Leaf fans, but, but it won't be like it is in Canada. But you've got 20 or 25 other home games that you have everybody's eye on you. And once in a while, you just like to go on the road and not be noticed. And, you know, just take the two and leave. And the Leafs don't get that. And I think, I think it's a real problem with that team. They just they think there's something they're not. And I think it's going to be a long time before I see them with the Stanley Cup. And I really do believe that's one of the big reasons. I have a, a friend of mine who I haven't talked to in years, so maybe it's stopped. But I spent, I would say, 40 hours of my life trying to convince this person, him trying to convince me, that Ron Ellis was a Hall of Famer. And I, th I said, he's not a Hall of Famer. I mean, Paul Henderson's closer to a Hall of Fame career than, than Ron Ellis. I like Ron Ellis, good player, not a Hall of Famer. But that, I guess that kind of attitude is what you're talking about when it comes to the Leafs. It is. And, and I get it. You like Ron Ellis. Number six is your favorite number, whatever it is. But 
Yeah, Ron Ellis isn't isn't a Hall of Famer. Worked his tail off. He's a Hall of Fame person, lovely person. Read Ron Ellis a bunch of times, but not the Hockey Hall of Fame. It could be in the Person Hall of Fame. And the problem is you get these Leafs fans who aren't objective. Well, what are the players going to think? Now they're all going to think they're Hall of Famers, which in some ways is good, but then in other ways you put your hands behind your head and you cross your legs and you go, well, we got it made, boys. Well, guess what? You don't got nothing made. Now, I mean, we're Hall of Fame people. There's no doubt about that. That's a big group, though, so <laughs> not, not special at all. There's two areas I need to go now, and I'm going to go this way, and then I'm going to ask you my old-timey question. So the other day... Somebody named Mink Flo sent out a uh, NBA exchange between the uh, the broadcaster, the play-by-play guy, and the color guy, in which the, the play-by-play guy called out the, the commentator for something that he had said, an exchange they had. And I loved it because it showed a level of maturity from the guy who was clearly upset, but he, he expressed himself very well. And the other individual didn't, you know, get too terribly defensive, although he did a little bit. And I liked it as watching a broadcast. To me, it was it was fresh and new, and it showed some maturity and very verbal people. Chris Curtola said, can't wait to hear Big, Big Mo sports, sports take on this. So if I could get the words that I will. What is your take on that exchange between those two broadcasters and what was said and then the retort? What do you think? Do you think I'm going to like it or do you think I'm going to not like it? I think you're going to, I think you're going to torch it, but I, I will disagree vehemently. That's exactly what I'm going to do. I think that was completely wrong. I understand why he did it, but that, my friend, is why we have commercial breaks. So what you do is you go to break and you say, hey, what you said didn't make me very happy. And you may loop in the producer and say, what did you think of that? What, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then you say, would you be willing to say when we come back, hey, you know, I was probably a little hard on you there, blah, blah, blah. Yep, sounds good. You come out of break. Hey, I was a little hard on you in that last segment there. I apologize. Well, let's move forward. Perfect. If you want to have a disagreement about the sport on the air, Oh, my God. I would sanction that a thousand out of a thousand times. But that type of discussion should be a discussion you have off the air. That would be my preference as a producer because all it does is it creates an awkward moment that's away from the sport. I get it. You didn't like that, you know, he talked down to you and and said something that you didn't like. But that's what commercial breaks are for. And if you want to address it back on the air, you can. But I would, I would not um, put my support behind that if it was being discussed in the truck. Hey, we're going to do this on the air. Mm, no, I don't think you are. That's okay. my opinion. Allow me to linger a little bit. I think there are times where it does get uncomfortable. I'll use Fergie Oliver as an example when uh, uh, Tony Kubek used to kind of light him up a little bit and, and, and troll him a little bit, and Fergie would take the bait, and it was embarrassing. I, I felt bad for Fergie Oliver, and, and uh, it was not comfortable. But I didn't feel uncomfortable in this particular exchange. I was close. I, I thought I watched it twice, and I thought, okay, I get it. I get why you're ticked off. I totally get that. But let's have the first discussion off the air, and then if we want to, you know, somehow say, well, how, you know, how would you like me to have presented that? How would you like? At least can we move it forward rather than it just being a straight on-air admonishment for something personal, not necessarily something about the sport. That's just my opinion, but. 
I've thought about it a fair bit, and that's kind of where I land. Well, I, I want to tell you, earlier in this uh, segment, you disagreed with me, and it hurt my feelings, and I would like to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> and if I believed that for one minute, I um, would be gutted. <laughs> um I could see I could see your reaction coming from a mile away, but I stand by my fin- opinion, and it's okay that we disagree. So I I I am nerding out at the highest level. I like if there is a nerd hall of fame, I'm in it right now. I have subscribed to the Hockey News Archive, and I'm all in. I just I at least once a day I spend half an hour on that thing, and I I I have to force myself to get out. It's so good. The other day, Steve Lansky, I'm reading about Harry Sinden, who's left the Boston Bruins. He is he, they won the Stanley Cup, and he's left them. This is like '71 or winter of '70, and in the Ken McKenzie article. He talks about CBS pursuing Sinden as a commentator or a between-periods guest. And then about a month later, he says, Hockey Night in Canada got him. Sinden will be on Hockey Night in Canada for the rest of the season into the playoffs. And so it made me think of a question. Back then, Hockey Night in Canada had the torque to get the guy, whether it be money or prestige or whatever, they had it. Now I watch what's happening on all the U.S. networks, and, and the fact that a lot of TSN people didn't go over to Hockey Night in Canada. And I wonder if it has the same panache, the same presence that it did in 1970. Well, first of all, I'm a little shocked that you know what torque is. I didn't have you as a physics guy, but that's, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm all over that, man. I like, read about it. What gra- that is what grabbed me from that question right there with the word torque. <laughs> you know what? <clears throat> in those days, it was different. Because Harry Sinden, he was still in his 30s. He had just, he was as, as in the game as you could get. He won the Stanley Cup with Boston, for God's sakes. He was going to go on and head coach Canada at the Summit Series. Mm-hmm. So he was, he was the only guy you would want at this point. And, you know, you had to look at Hockey Night, who Hockey Night in Canada had at that time. You know, Ward Cornell, Bob Goldham, Brian McFarland. Uh, Danny Gallivan and Dick Irvin. Dick wasn't going to come to Toronto. Nobody in Toronto was going to watch Dick Irvin. The Vancouver Canucks were about to start in the National League. So somebody like Harry Zinden would be a very sought-after commodity. The problem is now, today, there would be a huge dollar difference between going to the United States and staying with Hockey Night in Canada. So, you know, you get the Ray Ferraros, say, who stayed in Canada for as long as they could, and then it was like, okay, I gotta, I, I gotta make a move here. I, I gotta, I gotta earn some more money, and and get a little more of what I want m- moving into my twilight years as a broadcaster. So, it 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 varies over time because you're talking about 1970, which is <laughs> it can't be 60 years ago, but I guess it is almost. Um, and it was different then, but if you had somebody do that now. You would get them on TSN right away. Brian Burke was on TSN. John Tortorella was on TSN. All those, all the Mike Keenan. I, I worked with Mike Keenan when he was between coaching jobs. So you do, you do look for that. And now I think that when you look at TNT, they've got Liam McGuire and, and Anson Carter, and you know, moving aside from Wayne Gretzky because he's a little bit older. You got Paul Bissonnette. He's a little bit younger. Henrik Lundqvist. It looks like he could play today. Yeah. So you do, you do want that young guy. And that's why Kevin Bieksa succeeds at Hockey Night in Canada. But it's a different world than it was in 1970 in terms of that, for sure. 
Lundquist to me is like Rod Gilbert. I think he could, he's he is such a good looking guy. He could do television when he's ninety five. <laughs> you know, and it's just a bonus that he knows how to talk about hockey. Yeah, he? and that. But you know what? And I also think I think it's great, but I also think that's terrible. Like we should not be judging people. You're right on on their look, but. For some reason, we just do, and and we shouldn't. Yep. And you know, there's it's it's really hard. It's really hard when you sit in a room, and somebody says to you, "Hey, we've hired so and so. She's easy on the eyes, or he's easy on the eye." Yeah. Uh, that always made me feel uncomfortable in those meetings, and I always came back with, "How are they on the air?" <laughs> and I didn't get a very, I didn't, you know what? I didn't get a very good answer very many times. No. And I, I still find, and now we're going back. I still find that alarming that that's the first thing oh, it is. that would get, that yeah. would get presented to me. Yeah. And I just, I'm, I'm not a, I was never a big fan of that, but it's there and it has to be addressed. And like you said, looking at Henrik Lundqvist is very easy. So it, I, I don't know how that goes away. But I, it's a bugaboo that that's grabbed television from the beginning, and it still grabs it. Yeah, it does for sure, and it's even more dark for women than it is for men. Like Lundqvist, if he could wear a suit anywhere reasonably well, he'd be on TV forever. But he can't. So, <laughs> <laughs> Lansky, thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. All right, man. Have a great weekend. All right, there you go, Steve Lansky.